The following podcast contains strong language. Listener discretion is advised. Kia ora e hoa no mai haere mai, welcome to the Femporium, your one-stop shop for all things femme and fantasy and sci-fi literature. I'm your host, Tori, and I've got some housekeeping. It is the holiday period, so I'm at my parents' house, recording this from a cupboard in my childhood bedroom. My older brother is also visiting with his family, so there will likely be some background noise. Please bear with me through this time. Okay, so we're on to a new character, new book series. This time we're talking about Tiffany Aching, and the book we're starting with is The We Free Men by Terry Pratchett. It was first published in 2003, so I was about 12 when this came out, and I probably read it not long after that. Uh, the first Terry Pratchett novel I ever read was Carpe Jugulum when I was about 11 or 12, and it was recommended to me by my school teacher at the time. Uh, I will no doubt cover Carpe Jugulum at some point in this podcast because A, I love it, and B, I think the witches of Discworld, particularly Nanny Og and Granny Weatherwax, are really important to fantasy literature in general. Um, but I'm going to start with Tiffany Aking's books because in a lot of ways yeah. she is young me, <laughs> um, and we'll get to why. I've also not read all of her books, so we'll be getting to our first first read episodes in the near future. Now, this is a Discworld novel, and if you've never read anything by Terry Pratchett or a Discworld novel, I think this is a really good series to start with. Um, I'm going to try and give you a very brief primer on Discworld. So... Discworld refers to both a comic fantasy book series and the world on which those books take place. Discworld is a flat planet resting on the backs of four elephants, which in turn stand on a giant turtle swimming through space. Um, The books often parody or take inspiration from a number of well-known authors such as Tolkien and Shakespeare, also folklore and mythology, and they frequently draw satirical parallels with real-world issues. It's got witches and wizards and trolls and dwarves and tyrants and assassins and golems and heroes and whores and kings and werewolves and vampires and pixies and more and more. And none of these things are quite how you expect them to be. Also, it's really fucking hot in here. So, like, if I sound a bit like, it's because I'm sweating profusely, even though I've just got out of the shower. It's quite muggy and I feel very gross. Anyway... Um, I think that is about as basic an explanation as I can possibly give without going down so many rabbit holes. Um, You could do an entire podcast series just on the stories of Discworld. I wonder if someone's doing that. If someone's doing that, I need to listen to it. And if no one's doing that, um, I think I just found my next project. So, Um, But this is an episode about Tiffany Aching. So let's talk about Tiffany. Uh, Terry Pratchett put a lot of himself into Tiffany's character and has said that her books are the ones he'd like to be remembered for. Um, Tiffany lives in a farming country called the Chalk, which is reminiscent of Pratchett's home of Wiltshire. Tiffany comes from a family of sheep farmers, is a friend to the Knack Mac Feagles, who we will meet shortly, because we can't really talk about Tiffany without talking about them. This book is literally named after them. Uh, she's the sixth child out of seven, and she wants to be a witch. So in Discworld, there are, as I mentioned before, both witches and wizards, but they're not just 
differently gendered people filling the same role. Tempted to do an episode just about the differences between witches and wizards of Discworld, maybe once I've covered a few more books from this universe, but an example of their difference from The We Free Men, this book, is unlike wizards, witches learn to make do with a little. Now, if I'm any kind of witch, it's a Discworld witch, and within the first two pages of this book, I was rapidly starting to remember why I find Tiffany so relatable, and why I love Nanny Og and Granny Weatherwax so much. Um, for example, as I mentioned before, making do with a little, I'm pretty talented at avoiding doing the groceries by coming up with a meal from whatever the fuck is in my fridge or my cupboard at the time. I'm generally just very good at making it work. Um, witches listen to their bodies. Hi! I've been journaling on and off since I was a kid, and yeah, part of that has involved getting to know my own body pretty well. Witches also tell you what's going to happen, whether you want it to or not. Uh, their predictions tend to be more accurate, and therefore less popular. Uh, it also makes it very hard to lie to oneself, making for a generally very uncomfortable existence. Uh, it's good for making friends stop talking to you for months at a time, because you are maybe a little too truthful with them. Maybe to the point of being cruel. Sorry. Also not sorry. But it does get old saying, I told you so, all the fucking time. Anyway, we first meet Tiffany uh, tickling trout at the river, and I immediately had to Google this to see if it was a real thing, and apparently it totally is. It's exactly what it sounds like. You stroke their underside until they get all relaxed and floopy, and then you just scoop them up by the gills and take your fish away. Uh, soup's illegal in Britain. Who knew? Probably lots of people, not me. Uh, we also meet her little brother Wentworth at the same time. She doesn't particularly like her little brother, and he is, like most children, always just a bit sticky. So... Tiffany is tickling trout and thinking about the word susurus, which she read in her grandmother's dictionary, which she read start to finish, and this made me go, oh, hello. Um, I've never read a dictionary start to finish, but I did browse them for fun as a kid. So, like many people, I knew a lot of words that I didn't know how to pronounce, and that still happens from time to time. You know, just anyone who's ever read a book has probably experienced this. Uh, it did result in my peers, and a lot of adults though, thinking I was smarter than I really was. Um, it did make me quite good at spelling, which makes people think that you're smart as well. And I got called the walking dictionary at school. So, as a chubby asthmatic kid with glasses, there are probably far worse things that I probably could have been called. So, actually not that bad. Uh, so at the same time as meeting Tiffany and Wentworth, we also meet the Nat MacFeagles, who this book is named after, the Wee Free Men. And this pretty much gives us all the most important characters in the book. Uh, the Nat MacFeagles are so cool, and I'm just going to directly quote Wikipedia to explain them. Uh, the Nat MacFeagal, also sometimes known as Pixies, Wee Free Men, and the Little Men, are a type of fairy folk that appear in Terry Pratchett's Discworld novels Carpe Jugulum, The Wee Free Men, A Hat Full of Sky, Wintersmith, I Shall Wear Midnight, Snuff, and The Shepherd's Crown. 
Aside from being six inches tall, they just about invert the Victorian concept of mystical and refined fairies and hark back to the fairies of folklore who were generally seen as occasionally helpful thieves and pests. The Nack MacFeel's skin appears blue because it is heavily tattooed and covered with woad. All have red hair. The tattoos identify a Fiegel's clan. Wings or similar features of any kind are out of the question. Their speech can only be described as some sort of variation on the Scots language, usually Glaswegian in the clans encountered so far, although William the Gonegal, from a different clan, has a softer Highland accent. They're notably strong and resilient, which comes in handy given that almost all male Fiegels tend to be notoriously rowdy as a lifestyle. End quote. Um, the Fiegels are also afraid of words, particularly written down words, so you can imagine how they feel about Tiffany. Uh, they believe names have power, so they're reluctant to share them with people in case they get written down or put upon complicated documents. Now, there's another witch scrying for a witch on the chalk, and she sees Tiffany. She sees Tiffany trickling trout, trout, tickling trout. Oh my god, that's hard to say. Tickling trout. She sees Tiffany tickling trout. Then face a crazy river monster without being really afraid. Go home to find out what that monster is. Return to the river to use her baby brother as bait for said monster. Scone it in the face with a frying pan. And then go back to work making butter and cheese. Which is slightly sociopathic, but like, also kind of amazing. Uh, so naturally, uh, this kid wants to know more about what the fuck is going on with this monster and the tiny blue men. So she goes into town to see this travelling band of teachers and asks one if he knows anything about zoology. And this motherfucker is like, zoology, eh? That's a big word. And because Tiffany literally read the fucking dictionary, she goes, no, actually, it isn't. Patronising is a big word. I'd be so fucking pissed if some kid sassed me like that. But also, I was that kid. So, like, it would probably just be karma, you know? <laughs> yeah. Fucking mic drop. Love her. Uh, so Tiffany meets this witch that she didn't know was watching her. And they do a very amusing verbal dance, trying to sort of feel each other out. And, and they essentially come to the same conclusions about each other. And that is, she's a bit too clever. Oh, and apparently it's also a very witchy thing on Discworld to correct people's pronunciation of things. So yeah, that's another tick for me. Uh, they're also naturally nosy. Uh, oh, there's a really great quote here. I didn't put it in any context at all. I just stuck it in my notes from <laughs> Miss Tick, this other witch. She says, if you trust in yourself and believe in your dreams and follow your star... You'll still get beaten by people who spent their time working hard and learning things and weren't so lazy. Which is almost exactly the same advice given to me by my saxophone tutor when I was a teenager. So, here we go. <laughs> um, so after Tiffany leaves the witch, uh, Miss Tick confers with her toad familiar and we learn that Tiffany possesses first sight and second thoughts, which we will learn more about later. And the toad says to Miss Tick, she, she's impressed you, right? I know she did, because you were quite nasty to her. And you always do that to people who impress you. And this made me very uncomfortable, because I used to do that. I try not to anymore, but once upon a time, I would treat people with extra snark and disdain if I really liked them. Uh, granted, I was like that towards 
most people, and people I didn't like also got extra helpings of snark, so heaven help people trying to figure out whether I loved or loathed them. <laughs> um, if I was being glib, I'd say it was because I'm an Aquarius. If I was being honest, I'd say it was a defense mechanism to protect myself from rejection. Um, I'm no less of afraid of rejection now, but I think I've gotten better at sometimes actually being nice to people when I like them. I hope, I hope I've gotten better at that. Anyway, we also learn from Mystic that this monster turning up means there's something bigger going on, because somewhere, all the monsters that grown-ups create to scare children into and out of certain behaviours are real. That world where they exist is converging with the world where humans live, and they're starting to get bleed through, now that this land doesn't have a trained witch to keep them at bay. So Tiffany needs to learn how to be a proper witch. Um, something that I think is captured really clearly and really well with Tiffany is the weird kind of social space that's occupied by young girls. Despite the fact that she's only nine, she's treated like she's much older. And this happens all the time to girls. <laughs> she's, you know, she's often entrusted with the care of her baby brother. She's got her job on the farm, which she's good at, so no one interferes with that. She makes cheese and butter. And she doesn't talk like other children either. She uses words that half the adults around her don't even know. She's a voracious learner, and that seems to set her apart even further from other kids. So she's kind of expected to be much more grown up than she really is. Um, we also get these flashbacks, these very beautiful and insightful and poignant memories, mostly of her grandmother, but also of other women from her community, and these flashbacks are so important to the story. But they make it easy to forget at times just how young this protagonist is. And then she'll start daydreaming about what a school of witches would be like, or how an unfamiliar, uh, how unfair a situation is. And it's quite childish, <laughs> because she is still a child. And this happens to young girls all the time, constantly being treated like they're older than they really are, or being expected to, but to behave in a way beyond their years. Um, so when her baby brother goes missing without a trace, it's not really that unusual that she feels like, Oh, well, I'll just have to deal with, deal with it myself. She can't trust the adults around her to listen to her. Um, in Discworld, this is another witchy trait, is just getting shit done. And, like, her brother's been kidnapped by a magical thing. What adult is going to listen to her, you know? And that's another thing, you know, like, kids, particularly girls, often being expected to comport themselves and behave in a way that's beyond their years, but not being taken seriously by adults when they actually muster up the courage to tell them when something's wrong. It just oh, frustrates me so much. Um, so with Wentworth gone missing um, and Tiffany deciding it's it's up to her to get him back, despite the fact that she doesn't actually like him very much, she just objects to her brother being stolen, uh, she enlists the help of the Weavery men to steal him back from, from the queen. He's been stolen by this mythical queen. Uh, and they take her to meet their Kelder. Uh, Kelder being just the head of a clan. And before before going to meet the Kelder, Tiffany has one of her flashbacks, and it's about a feat that her granny aching pulled off years before. Uh, Tiffany knows now how it was done, and says, that was how it worked. No magic at all. But that time, it had been magic. And it didn't stop being magic, just because you found out how it was done. 
And I think we should all kind of hang on to some little things like that, you know, things that are still magic, even after you know how they work. Like for me, it's phosphorescence. If you're not familiar with this, go and Google bioluminescent plankton. It's been quite a few years since I've seen it, but one of the most magical experiences of my entire life was going out kayaking at night and seeing the phosphorescence like swirling around the kayak and my paddles. Um, like phosphorescence is always magical, but this was a particularly amazing time. Like I was way out in this national park, away from city lights, in the black of night, and it was like paddling through the stars. You know, magic is everywhere. It just so great. Anyway, Tiffany. She's worried about uh, what she can actually do because, in her words, I don't know a single spell. I don't even have a pointy hat. My talents are an instinct for making cheese and not running around panicking when things go wrong. Which are pretty impressive on their own, to be honest, but up against a magical queen. Yeah, being worried is pretty justified. Um, so before they get to the Fiegel's home, they meet some more visitors from the world where the monsters are real. And in the process of fighting them off, some of the Fiegels die. I kind of touched on different cultural attitudes towards death in the Lioness Rampant episode, and we kind of see that here again. That completely different outlook between characters. When Tiffany realises that some of the Fiegels have died, she's quite reasonably upset. But the wee free men aren't even remotely bothered because they believe they're the ones who are dead. Um, they believe that the ones who've just died have actually just... Oh my god, can you hear that? This. Okay, I don't think you can hear it. But my brother's dog is outside making this horrible groaning noise because he's alone. I did try to bring him into the room with me, but he can't get up the stairs that well, so like... Oh god, it's... it is the worst noise. I'm so sorry if you can hear that. Anyway, <laughs> huh. um, where was I? Um, right, Fiegels have died. So they believe that the ones who've just died have, have actually gone back to the land of the living. And they'll be back soon. Um, they believe they were very, very good and well behaved in life. So when they died, they were allowed to come to this world, where they are now. Um, it's basically heaven. And it's, it's all very pretty and there are things for them to hunt and fight and drink and steal. And it's kind of a great outlook. Like, it's very, like, seize the day type attitude, because um, I think they did anyway. So um, so Tiffany meets the Kelder, uh, and we get an explanation of Tiffany's powers, first sight and second thoughts. So first sight is seeing what's really there, instead of what your brain tells you should be there. Second thoughts is metacognition, thinking about your own thinking. Um, according to the Kelder, this is a rare combination in a big job. Big jobs being human folk, <laughs> which is a name I quite like. So she offers Tiffany a deal. She'll point Tiffany in the direction of the Queen, and in return, Tiffany will take over as Calder until a new one can arrive. See, a Calder will have hundreds, potentially even thousands of sons, but she's lucky if she has one daughter. And that daughter can't take over her mother's clan because she'll need to marry. Obviously, everyone in her clan is her brother, so, uh, she can't marry within her own clan, and she can't bring in a fella from elsewhere, because he won't be accepted by her brothers, they won't have any respect for him. 
So when it's time for Akelda in waiting to find her own clan, she gets some of her brothers to go with her. So she's not lonely. And she finds a clan that's looking for a new Kelda, marries someone there, takes over as their matriarch, gets to making hundreds and hundreds of babies. Um, <laughs> Akelda looks after her clan, but she's also the final word in, well, everything. Her word is law, right? So the Kelda dies, and then the appropriate admin gets underway, and Tiffany notes that it's far quieter and much more somber than she would have expected given her recent experiences of the Fields. And William the Gonagall, who is their battle poet, uh, and the late Kelda's brother, explains that their hearts are too full for words. Sorry, hearts are too full of words for making noise. The Fiegels don't mourn like humans do. They will hold awake to help send the Kelder back to the land of the living. And that'll be ruckus, but they'll mourn for those who have to stay behind. So they bury the Kelder, and Tiffany wants to get on her way, but there's a small spanner in the works, and that is that she has to choose a Fiegel husband. Like, this is so weird to me. Tiffany navigates the the situation expertly, but also no one does anything to try and help her out. No one is comfortable with the situation. She's a child, and they know that. And the logistics of any marriage between a human and a fegal would be... Sorry, I just thought I heard someone calling out to me. Um, Yeah, any marriage between a human and a fegal would be difficult to navigate... And she's a child. But they're all just like, gotta pick a husband. Them's the rules. Ugh. Once again, young girl is quite obviously a child, and everybody knows it, but she's still gotta be more mature than the tiny adult men that she's surrounded by. She's responsible for their behavior. She is in charge. <laughs> Does anybody do satire like Terry Pratchett? I don't think so. With that sorted out, they're finally on their way to the Queen's land, and Tiffany's next test is to find the entrance. So the Fiegels know how to get in because they used to live there, but she has to figure out how to use her... Um, she has to figure out how to use her first sight to find the entrance. When she does, she's like, but I didn't even do any real magic. Mm. And the Fiegels really come through with, uh, with this little bit of wisdom. They say, uh... What's magic, eh? Just waving a stick and saying a few wee magical words and what's so clever about that? But looking at things, really looking at them, and then working them out, that's a real skill. And the other guy says, yep, it is. You used your eyes and you used your head. That's what a real hag does. The Magic King is just there for advertising. And this kind of gets to the heart of Terry Pratchett's witches. For the most part, they're just smart, perceptive women who see what needs doing and then do it. Yes, they can do magic, but none of the most one of the most important skills they learn is when not to use it. Most of the time, they're actually filling necessary roles in their community. Things like midwifery and herb law, caring for the land, and stupid, selfish people who don't appreciate it. As in this reference. <laughs> About This is about Tiffany's grandmother, Granny Aching. She froze and struggled and tramped through the night for idiot sheep that never said thank you and would probably be just as stupid again tomorrow and get into the same trouble again. And she did it because not doing it was unthinkable. And yes, this is literally what shepherding is, but it's also what women do every single day. 
Tiffany has made it to the Queen's World, which is fairyland, and it's not as nice as that sounds. According to the Feagles, it's more like a tick. It latches itself onto other worlds and then takes and takes and takes from that world until it can't take any more, and then it drops off and goes to find another world to do that with again. Um, fairyland is very Inception-y. It's not quite real, and there are dreams within dreams, and time moves differently, etc, etc. Granted, this came out before Inception, so it's not a reference. Um, but there have been some bits that have felt like references to me. Um, some bits that I think are a reference to The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Labyrinth. Um, and the Feagles definitely seem like angry drunk Smurfs. Like, <laughs> it's, it's hard not to think of them as these aggro tattooed Smurf dudes. She meets a bunch of weird characters and learns how to manipulate the dreamscapes. She meets Roland, this stupid baron's son who went missing, and I'm not going to waste any time talking about him because he's a bit of a wet blanket and quite useless, and he'll be in the next book anyway, um, I'm pretty sure. So she fights the queen, trying to get her brother back and escape fairyland, of course. In the process, Tiffany discovers that as well as her metacognition of second thoughts, she also has third thoughts. Tiffany's very meta. Uh, one of the tactics that the Queen uses against Tiffany is gaslighting. And because Tiffany is uh, in her head quite a lot, and always examining herself and asking questions, and a child, she does almost get sucked in by it. What saves Tiffany in the end is literally getting woke. <laughs> There's so much that I could say about this part, and how much I took it to heart a little bit, but I just think it's so beautifully written in the book. I don't really want to pick it apart here. Okay, so there's a bit in the last book of that wizard series by the Turf, whose name we shall not give any airtime to, where the protagonist says, is this really happening or is it all in my head? And the old wizard man says, of course it's happening in your head, but why should that mean it's not real? And I've always taken a lot of comfort from that line, because... It kind of gave me a way to frame particularly like mental health struggles for both myself and those around me. Yes, this stuff is mostly all in one's head, but that doesn't mean it's not real. Chemical imbalances in your brain are real. Shitty circumstances compounding and making it hard to even function are real. Gaslighting works because it gets you stuck in your own head, but it is real, and you absolutely can gaslight yourself as well. Like, we... We shape our identities within our own minds, but that doesn't mean that we aren't real, you know? So, when I learned what a terrible fucking person that author is, it made it a little bit harder to take the same meaning from those words, knowing that, to her, they really are pure fiction. So what does this have to do with Tiffany Aching? Well, after she defeats the Queen, Nanny Og and... Granny Weatherwax arrive, they debrief, and Granny Weatherwax gives Tiffany an invisible pointy hat. Tiffany asks if it's really there, and if it just exists in her head. Granny Weatherwax tells her, you've got lots of things in your head. That doesn't mean they aren't real. So, yay. So this is the start of Tiffany Aching's story, and it is a story about witches, but it's also about women who are different. Women who are a bit strange, Old women, fragile women, women who've been hurt by men and are never the same again. 
women who exist outside various societal expectations, women who are a bit too something, too much, and the way that they're subsequently treated because of it. Whether it's with quiet, sometimes grudging respect, or maybe they're vilified because people only see what they want to see or what they expect to see, or maybe they're completely ignored to the point of desperate, lonely isolation, where they might be talked about, but never to. This is a story about women who no one ever actually tried to understand. I'm gonna leave it there. Um, this episode could have been so much longer, and it was ridiculously hard to decide what to include, and now I'm wondering why on earth I thought I could talk about anything that Terry Pratchett has written, because honestly you could write whole theses on pretty much any Discworld novel, and I think I might have bitten off more than I can chew with these books. Oh well. If you enjoyed this trip to the Femporium, please subscribe. Uh, go and give a quick little iTunes rating, tell your friends and family about it, you know, spread the word. Support for this podcast comes entirely from you, the listeners, and me. Aside from doing the Lord's work and telling people about me, you can also support me on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. Cover art is by me, production and editing are also by me. You can follow me on Twitter at Fem underscore podcast. It's at F E M M E underscore podcast. And if you want to get in touch, you can email me at femfnpodcast at gmail.com. It's all lowercase, no special characters. F E M M E F N podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Matewa.